Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 28. The book of Acts and chapter number 28. We are continuing with this series of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we're finishing our last little bit of the book of Acts dealing with Paul's life. But the book of Acts does not stop what the Apostle Paul is doing. We're going to continue on with this series just for a little bit more as we cover some more books of the Bible, some more events that occur in the Apostle Paul's life. But as for now, we're finishing up the book of Acts as it details uh, the Paul's life. If we could catch up to where we are, the, the Apostle Paul had returned back from his third missionary journey and went back to Jerusalem. While he was there at Jerusalem preparing for Passover, the uh, church official, officials, including uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, had asked the Apostle Paul to take care of some ceremonial things within the temple. While he was at the temple, some people had a misunderstanding, assumed that he had brought some Gentiles into the temple, which was a big no-no, and he did not. And they caused a riot, and they took the Apostle Paul and beat him almost to death. The only thing that saved him was that the Roman soldiers came in and delivered him at the last minute. After he was arrested for two years, he sat in a jail cell under Felix. The governor and Felix, he would have let him go if Paul just gave him a bribe, but Paul refused. When Festus took charge, Festus uh, wanted to try to pay politics. And when Paul realized that this was occurring, he appealed to Caesar that as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal his case directly to the Roman emperor and he could plead his case there. So after that time, he was sent. And that's what we're going to cover in Acts 27 and 28, his journey to Rome and what occurs uh, along the way. And we could see all throughout it that in the circumstances, as we're going through our Sunday school series, that sometimes there's treasures in darkness, that the Worst things that could ever happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us when they get God's will accomplished. And that's what we see in the book of Acts chapter 27 and 28. As for now, we're going to pick it up in the last part of chapter 28. Instead of reading both of these chapters uh, all at once, we're just going to hit the tail end of it. Notice with me in Acts 28 and verse 23. Acts chapter 28 and verse 23, the word of God says this. And when they had appointed him, that's Paul, a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they had agreed, not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and say, uh, shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, 
and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I shall heal them." Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man Forbidding him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts chapter 28? The book of Acts chapter 28 and verse number 28. So Acts 28, 28. Notice the phrase, if you don't mind. The salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles. Salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this idea here that the salvation of God is sent To the Gentiles. And we're going to see that in these two chapters. God is putting his attention on winning the Gentiles to the Lord. Through the Apostle Paul as his instrument. If you don't mind let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great day that we had. Thank you for the testimonies about camp. Thank you for the other things that are going on, the victories that we're still seeing throughout this year. And we're looking forward to more of the same. I ask that you continue to be with us as we open up the scriptures, that you would get our attention, that you would help us to uh, see your heart, see that you're not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. I'm asking that you would open up this narrative in a clear way that we could get the story in our mind, that we could have an understanding of what's going on. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Fill me with your spirit, please. Amen. As we approach this passage again, this is a big narrative, a big chunk, but it covers the idea here that salvation is sent to the Gentiles. We understand that God has first offered salvation to the Jewish people because Jesus Christ was a Jew. He was born of a Jewish family. Of course, his father was God, but his lineage came through David. It came through Abraham and that it came through this lineage and that God had offered salvation to the Jewish people. But time and time again, the Jewish heart had turned from God and turned from accepting Christ. So God had opened up salvation to all Gentiles. By the way, this wasn't a backup plan and this wasn't plan B and this wasn't uh, just because it didn't work out. God had told and predicted that this was going to happen, that God always had in mind to reach all people, not just the Jewish people. In fact, Paul, as he's preaching here in Acts chapter 28, he brings up the last two, uh, he brings up two verses in Isaiah. Uh, Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 26, uh, verse 25 for context sake. But he's bringing up Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And starting at verse 25, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, and now he quotes Isaiah, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. 
For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they, have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I will hear them. Be it known, therefore, unto you, that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. So as he's giving this prophecy, there's actually a prophecy in Isaiah 700 years before this time that the Jewish people will not listen to the word of God, that they will not accept the gospel. So God says, send it to the Gentiles. They will hear it. They will hear it. And so in chapters 27 and 28, what we see here is the salvation of God going out to the Gentiles. Turn with me to Acts 27 as we start our narrative and as we go through here. And the first thing I'd like to show you is salvation of those on the ship. Salvation of those on the ship. Now remember where we picked it up at is that Festus is governor and he's going to ship Paul. He's going to send Paul to Caesar. Now, he's quite a distance away, and there's a big sea in between them. The fastest way of travel is the Mediterranean Sea. And so he puts the Apostle Paul on a ship with the desire that he's going to sail the ship, or the soldiers are, they're going to sail the ship from Jerusalem, actually from Caesarea Philippi, which we now know as uh, Tel Aviv, or... um, And what they're going to do is they're going to travel the Mediterranean Sea until they end up in Rome. So let's see how this works out. We see the salvation of those on the ship. Verse uh, chapter 27 in verse 1. And when it was determined that we, notice this word we again. Remember we had covered this phrase we. This is Dr. Luke. Now during the last two years that the Apostle Paul has been in jail, Luke has been busy. What he's been doing is he says, well, Paul's in jail. I can't really take care of him that much. Check up on him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go interview everyone I can. And I'm going to interview him because I'm writing a historical record of what happened in Jesus' day, which we now know as the gospel record of Luke. That Dr. Luke spent two years researching, check, uh, uh, fact-checking. Can you imagine he sit down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and say, let me know what it was like when Jesus was born. Tell us about these, these um, shepherds who came by night and spoke to you. Tell us what it was like when these wise men had traveled and came. Tell us what it was like when you had to flee into Egypt, running away from Herod the Great. Tell us what it was like when you wanted to come back and Herod Archelaus was there and you had to go back to Nazareth. Speak to us some more. And he interviewed him. Imagine when he got a hold of the disciples. Peter, tell us what it was like. Tell us what it was like to go with Christ. John, what was it like to travel with Christ? And what he did is he spent two years researching. Now, that's not part of the message. That's for free. But I figured I'd bring up what Dr. Luke was doing for the next last two years. But now that Luke, Paul is being sent away to Rome, Dr. Luke says, Hey, I know this is a slave ship. I know this is a prisoner ship. Can I go with my friend, Paul? If you have to arrest me, that's fine. But I want to go with Paul. I'm his doctor. And they allowed him. So Dr. Luke piles up. So Paul's not by himself. They load him up. And once again, we see the we passages begin because Luke is experiencing these things. And Luke is writing firsthand. He's explaining what happens as he is observing it. So basically that 
Paul has his own historian with him again. And he is being recorded. This isn't what Paul is telling someone else. This is what Dr. Luke says. This is what we're going through. So he's able to give a lot more details of what happens. Notice with me in verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy... They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into the ship of um, Adramentin, <clears throat> we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonian, being with us. So here it talks about Aristarchus, or, or Aristarchus, sorry, Aristarchus, we'll talk more about him later, is actually traveling along with him. So Dr. Luke, Aristarchus, have both joined Paul in this prison ship. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go to his friends to refresh himself. So what happens is they stop at Sidon, and can you imagine what a testimony Paul had that said the, uh, the guard, Paul's a prisoner, and the guard says, hey, go visit your friends, and what's all right, talk to your friends, get refreshed, and come back on the ship when we're ready. Okay, so he did. And verse 4, And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. So right here, they run into their first bit of bad weather. They're starting to sail, and what's happening is the winds is blowing contrary, so you're not making much headway when you're trying to sail into the wind. Verse number 5, And when we had sailed over the sea of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria and sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. So what happened is they switched ships in verse 6. And when we had sailed slowly many days, can you imagine uh, on a ship nothing happening? Many days sailing, sailing, sailing. And when we sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over into Sinaitis, the wind suffer, not suffering us, meaning not allowing us. So once again, the wind is fighting against them. It is going slowly. Come on, why can't we go faster? Well, God has a plan through it all. Notice as it goes on. We sailed under, under Crete over against Samoan, and hardly passing it, came into a place that, which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt, and much damage, not only of the landing in the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul goes up to the centurion and said, hey, um, we're going to be heading things. I'm not a prophet, but let me tell you, I believe from the Lord that if we keep sailing, we're going to, the ship's going to sink, that lots of damage is going to happen, lots of lives are coming. Let's stay here and let's just wait until the storm passes. But the centurion didn't listen to Paul. He decided to listen to the captain. Notice what happened, verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, so basically they said, we can't stay here over the winter. This isn't a good harbor for it. This isn't a good place for it. We need to sail on so we have a good place to winter. The more part advised to depart thence also 
If by any means they might obtain to fence and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lieth towards the southwest and the northwest. So basically they say, we can't stay here. We've got to try to make somewhere where we could winter and that way um, we won't get caught. Can you imagine being in Green Bay and someone says, all right, you can't stay here. You've got to sail on before the whole of the ice freezes. Now, they didn't have the ice freezing in the Mediterranean, but can you just imagine that, you know, you, got, you have to move. You can't winter here. Uh, it's not safe. But Paul's saying, we're safer here than going out there. But they didn't listen. So what happens? Verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So what happened? They said, hey, look, the wind is for us. Let's go. But not long thereafter arose a tempestuous wind called a Eurosolidonian. We would call this a mini hurricane. Well, that was nice. So they start sailing. They run into a little mini hurricane. That's not going to make sailing much fun. Notice what happens. <clears throat> Verse 15. And when the ship was caught and we could not bear up to the wind, we let her drive. So basically they couldn't sell into the wind. So they just let it go and say, we're just going to let the winds carry us instead of us fighting it. It's not going to happen. We're just going to let the winds carry us off course. But we got to let her go. Verse 16. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat. And when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands and strike sail and so driven. So basically they, they hit a little island and they take a break and they kind of try to strengthen the sails. But again, they're in such a, a place that the boat's going to get stuck in the quicksand and then they're going to be stuck that they have to sail again into the hurricane. They do what they can to try to uh, fasten the sails to board up the ship and then they sail again. Verse 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lighten the ship. So what happened? The hurricane's hitting them. The ship is being tossed. And because uh, uh, as the winds and the waves are going, the waves are going over the ship and the water's coming on the ship. So what they do is they throw out anything heavy, all of their grain stores, all of their food supplies, all of the stuff, anything they don't need, they throw off to make the ship lighter to hopefully be a rise above the waves rather than have the waves keep sinking on them again this is not a, uh, a good thing that's happening this is a very bad storm and on the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship so basically they start stripping everything they can off the ship and throw it off and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared no small tempest laid on us and all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Basically, it got to the place where everyone thought they were doomed. Now, these are experienced sailors and everyone thinks they're doomed. There's no hope. The boat's going to sink. There's nowhere we can land. We're not in control. We've thrown out our food. We've thrown out our extra water. We've thrown out extra things of the ship. We've got rid of the supplies, the maintenance, the repairs. They're all gone. We're just stuck. We haven't seen the sun, stars. It's been dark for days. We don't even know what time of day it is. It's hopeless. Now remember, in the darkest times, God is always at work. So what happens? Verse number 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened to me 
and not loose from Crete, to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Basically, he said, I'm blessed. (laughs) Hey, you didn't listen to me. That's fine. God's in control. Now, how can you... How would you like to be a sailor in the midst of a storm? You think you're going to die. And some peep squeak of a preacher says, I'm blessed. God's still good. God's still right. Guess what? God's got a plan. People are starting to go, what's with this crazy preacher? Notice what happens. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. He says, guess what? No one's going to die. The ship's going to wreck. We're not saving the ship. But no one's going to die. Be of good cheer, he says. For there stood by me this night an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Saying, fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that say with thee. So an angel came and said, guess what, Paul? You're not getting out of this. You're still going to Rome. You're still going to stand before Nero. And just because God loves you, everyone who's with you is not going to die. Amen. So, what happens? Verse number 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. He said, God is always good and God is always right. That it shall be given even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, we were driven up and down in Adria. About midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. So, 14 nights of this storm. This is some storm, isn't it? 14 nights. Finally, someone says, land ho. There's land up there. Verse 28. And sounded... And found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. And fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four acres out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee the ship when they had been let down the boat of the sea, under the color as though they would have cast the anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. So what happened is that they run and they're running fast into this island. And it's not a nice landing beach. It's a bunch of rocks. And so they said, we can't run to the rocks. So they stop. They throw out the anchors. And now the boat's in the midst of the storm anchored down. And the people start saying, land's out of way. Let's get to the life rafts and let's abandon ship. And as the, soldier, uh, the sailors start getting ready to go to the boat, Paul says, nope, nope, nope. Tell them to stop. That if they get off the boat now, they're going to die. If they stay on the boat, they'll be saved. So the centurion now trusts Paul. Paul has built a great testimony during this time. In the storm, can you imagine the preacher saying, God's still good and God's still right. Going up to the centurion, God's still good and God's still right. In the midst of the storm, 14 days, God is still good and God is still right. The centurion started to say, you know what? Maybe this preacher has something in it after all. He's not panicking. He's not saying what's happening. He's not going around. We're going to die like everyone else is. He has trust in God. In the midst of the storm, everyone's panicking, but not this preacher. So the preacher says that if they stay on boat, you're going to be saved. So what does the centurion do? He listens to Paul. Notice with me. In verse number uh, 32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let their fall off. You know what they did? They cut off the lifeboats. Now there's no way of escaping the ship. Everyone's stuck on here. Now, that probably wasn't a popular decision. 
especially with people panicking, they're wanting to get off the boat and they cut the lifelines, they cut off the, the, the lifeboats. Now they're stuck on the ship. Paul better be right. Notice what happens. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the 14th day that you've tarried and continued fasting. Meaning they haven't eaten in two weeks because of the storm has been so rough. People have been staying up trying to keep this boat float, trying to keep it going, that they haven't eaten anything in two weeks. Some of them are probably hungry. Paul says, you need your strength. Let's take some time and let's eat. <laughs> Verse 34. And wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is your health, for there is not a hair fall from your head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they took some meat. What happened? The preacher's been saying it's been God's good and God's right. God is still good and God is still right. Then what happened is that his enthusiasm started to catch. And other people started to believe the preacher when he said God is still good and God is still right in the midst of the storm. So again, God is trying to draw them that there's something different about this Christian. There's something different about this preacher. There's something different about someone who trusts God even in the midst of the storm. And they started to believe in the same God that Paul trusted in. Notice what happens. Verse um, 37. And we were all in the ship 203 score and 17 souls. Remember a score is 20. So three score is 60. Then plus 16. So we have 276 people on the ship. That's a lot of lives. That's a lot of people to be influenced. And when they had eaten enough. They lightened the ship. They threw more stuff out. And they cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day. They knew not the land. But they discovered a certain creek with a shore. Into which they were minded. And if possible to thrust in the ship. So basically they find this little creek. Not even a river. A little creek. And they try to aim the ship to the creek. In the midst of the rocks. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into the place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. So basically they crashed and the back ship was broken. But guess what? And the soldier... Uh, <clears throat> So the ship crashes. The last part of the ship breaks. They're stuck on ground. Now the soldiers being trained. After all, you're a prison ship and you got a lot of prisoners. You don't want them escaping. You want to be on an island with a bunch of prisoners you were just keeping hostage. Especially if there are more of them than there was of you. Notice what happens. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they should could swim, or they that could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. So what happened? The soldier said, we got to get rid of the prisoners. We can't just let them escape. The centurion said, no, no, no. Paul's a prisoner. I don't want him to die. This is the preacher that's been encouraging us. So he said, if you could swim, get swimming. If you can't, grab a hold of a board, jump right in and let it float you there. 
And every one of them, 276 people, made it safely to shore. You know, this whole time, God is working in the lives. They're listening to Paul. They're listening to him in the midst of the storm saying, God is still good and God is still right. And he's trying to do it because the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That 276 people got to experience that God is still good and God is still right. And they got to learn about the God that Paul served. So we see about those on the ship. Now let's see the salvation of those on the island. We saw the salvation of those in the ship. Now the salvation of those on the island. Notice with me in chapter 28 and verse 1. And when they were escaped, they knew the island was called Mileta. And the barbarous, barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Now let's define term. A barbarous people doesn't mean that they're going around still in, in uh, animal skin and going hungabugga. What's happening here is that a barbarian is someone who doesn't speak Greek. Greek was the educated language. And so these people didn't go to school. They didn't learn Greek. They had their own language. But they were just as civilized. And when these, this tribe that was living on the island saw these shipwrecked people, they helped them out. They showed them no little kindness. Meaning they showed them quite a bit of kindness. Notice what happened. Verse 2, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. Now remember, winter is setting in. So can you imagine being stuck in a wet storm? The cold is coming. They needed a fire. Everything's wet. So these barbarous people, these native people, started a fire, uh, built a shelter for them, helped keep the people from getting sick. And when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, Paul just survived a shipwreck, which was a very big deal. And he's putting sticks, putting it by a fire. And a snake that happened to be by the fire warming itself went and bit his hand in front of everyone. By the way, a very poisonous snake that kills people within minutes. So, can you imagine that? What would your attitude be? You just survived a storm. Now you got bit by a poisonous snake. Some of you probably wouldn't be happy right then, would you? <laughs> Saying, why God, why? Why? I thought you loved me. Why did you get me bit by a snake? Well, remember that the worst things that ever happened to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us when God is in control. Notice what happens. Verse 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his snake, on his hand. Now, how big does a snake have to be to call it a beast, huh? This venomous beast is hanging off his hand. By the way, he bit him and didn't let go. He's still hanging on there. Hi, you see my snake? And he said, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And they looked at Paul and said, man, someone must really hate him. <laughs> I mean, he must have done something really wrong. He survived this, but man, fates are trying to kill him. He may have survived that ship, but they're trying to kill him. And let this snake come and get him out in the middle of the cold in the winter, biting him. Someone wants him to die. So they're watching. They said, ooh, this must be a bad guy. Verse 5. And he shook off the beast in the fire and felt no harm. Now, how would you like to keep your composure there? You get bit by a venomous snake that everyone's watching you ready to die. And you just shake it off into the fire and say, huh, that tickled. <laughs> they're like, what just happened? 
Verse number six. Howbeit, when they looked that he should have swollen or fallen down uh, dead suddenly. But after they looked a great while. This guy's not dying. Nothing's happening to him. He's not even swelling up, man. He's just still whistling. What's his victory in Jesus song he's doing? What is this? But after they looked on a great while, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said he was a god. And in some quarters was some possessions of a chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who had received us and lodged us there three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, of whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hand on him and healed him. So what happened is that uh, the, the chief, his father, is dying. He's sick, very sick. And so... Uh, when Paul hears about it, says, let me go see him. So Paul goes in, he prays, and guess what? This guy who's about ready to die is healed. Verse number nine. And so when this was done, others also, which had diseases on the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they lauded us with such things as were necessary. So guess what? Salvation was brought to this island. That Paul, not only did he heal them, but it was also implied he witnessed to them and told them about a wonderful Savior who did all of this and a great God who protected them. So we could see that God brought salvation, not just physically, but, but spiritually to the people on the boat. That God brought salvation to these native people on the island. But God's not done yet, But because salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles. We see the salvation of those in Rome. Salvation of those in Rome. Notice in verse 13. And from thence, uh, verse 12 rather. Uh, let's pick it up, verse 10, 11. There we go, 11. And after three months, so they stayed on that island for three months before finally someone came to get them. We departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regulum. And after one day in the south wind blew, and we came next to uh, Petolia, which happened to be an island right next to Italy, kind of near the heel of the boot. And when we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, so we went, uh, and we went towards Rome. So they went to this uh, little town on this island, and they found Christians, and the Christians said, Hey, Paul, come on in! And so they let everyone in the ship stay with them for seven days, and now they're sailing again towards Rome, verse number 14. And when we found uh, brethren, we were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence we came to the brethren. Uh, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Ampiforum. And the three taverns which Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. So when other Christians heard that Paul was there, they traveled long ways to meet the ship on the different harbors just to say, Hi, Paul! And talk with him. And Paul was very encouraged that Christians would actually travel to go meet him and talk with him. Verse 16. And when we were come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So basically, while the other prisoners went to jail sales, the, uh, Paul went home with the guard and the guard kept him at his house for a while. Verse 17. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul 
called the chief of the Jews together. And when they came together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers. Yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So Paul, while he's being kept at the centurion's house or the soldier's house, he says, hey, uh, I'm calling for all the chief Jews. So they came and he says, hey, uh, you probably heard of me, maybe not, but I'm the apostle Paul. And I just want to let you know about Jesus. And I want to let you know why I'm here. I'm here because I'm a prisoner, because I told everyone about the Lord. They arrested me, but the Jews didn't like that. So I'm here. What do you guys think? So let's see what the Jews of Rome think of Paul. And notice with me in verse 21. And they said unto him, We have neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither of any of the brethren that showed or spake of any harm of thee. Basically, they said, we don't even know who you are, man. We haven't heard any letters. No one's warned us to stay away from you. But we're kind of curious. Why are you a prisoner? Verse number 22. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, what it's talking about right now, they're still considering Christianity as a branch of Judaism. So we want to hear about this little branch. We want to hear about this sect. For we know everywhere it is spoken against So all we hear is bad things about Christianity. Why don't you tell us what you think about Christianity? He says, I'll be glad to do that. Verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many into his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning into evening. And some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. So what happened is that Paul preached to the Jews, and some believed, some believed not. And when they rejected it and some walked away, Paul said, hey, it reminds me what it says in Isaiah, that you are not going to listen, you're going to hear, but you're not going to understand. But God is going to send salvation to the Gentiles. So notice what occurs now. Let's uh, go um, to verse number 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came to him. Now, once again, Paul is a prisoner, but instead of throwing him in a jail cell, they allowed him to rent a house for two years. He had guards outside of his house and they allowed people to come in and out while he was waiting for the trial. You say, why two years? Because what happened is that the Jewish people were supposed to send a representative to Rome to say, hey, this guy here, he broke the law. Now, he didn't break any Roman laws. He broke Jewish laws. So guess what? No one wanted to stand before Nero and say, well, he broke a Jewish law. He needs to die. They said, ah, we pass. So he waited two years for someone to come up and, and tell what he did wrong. But no one showed up. But that's fine. He's sitting in his own house. He's got his own guards. They can't kill him if he's got guards, right? And what happens is that people come into the house to go talk with the Apostle Paul. He says, and preaching the kingdom of God, verse 31, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So what happened is that anyone who was curious was able to come in and listen to the Apostle Paul. 
So he was waiting for his trial. And during this time, these two years, guess what? The Apostle Paul won members of the Roman guard. Can you imagine that? Some of the Roman guards were saved. It speaks about in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. He won some members of Caesar's household, meaning relatives and people who worked in the palace of Nero. They got saved. The book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 22. He got to witness to a runaway slave from Colossae. We see him as Onesimus in the book of Philemon. That, that's an amazing story that a runaway slave came all the way from Asia, figured he'd run to Rome where he could escape and no one would know him. He shows up and he says, I heard about this Paul guy. I think I'm going to go talk to him. And Paul sits and says, let me tell you about Jesus. The slave gets saved. And later on, that slave becomes the pastor of the church of Ephesus. That's pretty good. Meanwhile, these are the Gentiles that are getting saved and there's even more. So for two years... People come in and they go to Paul to go get saved. Also during this time, the Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians. He writes the book of Colossae. He writes the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to cover those books in short order. Um, but he writes these books. These are called his prison epistles. That while he's there in his own hired house with guards around him, he can't go out. But he's got his own house. He writes these letters, wins people to the Lord. Why? Because God is interested in saving even Gentiles. That every guard who's posted at his door, he says, hey, you're new. Hey, can I tell you some good news? Jesus died for you. Hey, you work for Caesar? Man, I'd love to talk with you. Come in. Hey, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? No, I'm not. Well, can I show you from the Bible how you can? No, sure. And all these people came around just to be won by the Lord. Or won to Paul to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? What we see here is that God is not willing that any shall perish, but all shall come to repentance. What we see here is that even in the darkest times, we as Christians, people are watching you. We all have storms that come through our life, but we don't have to allow the storms to control our attitude, right? If you're happy and you know it, and your face will surely show it. You understand that we have a good God, doesn't matter what's happening. And you know, sometimes there's storms in your life just to show that there's something different about your life. When people see how you handle storms, how you handle adversity, how you handle um, things that are not going your way, that's when they say there's something real about your God. That's when we get the chance to flourish and to shine because we keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How can you be so happy when everything's going wrong? Because God is still good and God is still right. How in the world can you still have a smile on your face when all of these things are happening to you? Because God is still good and God is still right. You know, something I learned a long time ago is just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. God is still good and God is still right. And that is some of the greatest opportunities to win people to the Lord is when they see our God is real. And you know, that's what God still does in our own life. That storms may happen. You say, why is this happening to me? Why? It could be because God wants to win people around you because you're still showing such faith. And they say, I want that. That person has something real. So, 
How's your poochie lip disease, right? Nobody likes me. Everyone hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Boo-hoo. Do you get to the place where it's always the boo-hoos? Are you at the place where you just do nothing but complain? Or can you say God is still good and God is still right? Can you be at the place where you have such a trusting God even when it's going bad? And everybody, you don't have to tell people it's going bad. They know if it's going bad in your life. Can you still show a faith in God? That's what's going to win people. They, they're not interested in your life when things are going good. They're interested in seeing how you respond when things are going wrong. How is your testimony? The people started listening to the Apostle Paul in the storm because he's still happy. 14 days of a storm. And he's still saying, I'm blessed. God's still good and God's still right. God's still good and God's still right. You don't understand that this isn't something you work up. This is something that you keep trusting in God, keep looking to Him, and God will give you grace. You can't put on a fake smile. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about how good of an actor you are. We're talking about how deep is your faith. Are you still looking unto Jesus even when it's going wrong? That's what people are looking for. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.